lot of failures. I mean, we were just talking about reliability before this, right? Like a lot of failures in machine learning are silent failures. I think being able to make those silent failures not so silent <laughs> and so that you can hear them happening and then you can go and fix them, I, I think is a pretty important thing. Hello and welcome to Infinite Machine Learning. This is your host, Prateek Joshi. In each episode of this podcast, we talk to amazing machine learning practitioners, founders, and VCs, and dive deep into a specific topic. Today, we have Vishnu Ram Venkataraman on the show. He is the VP of Data Science and Engineering at Credit Karma. Over the last eight and a half years, he has built their recommendation systems and machine learning infrastructure for more than 120 million members and growing. Before that, he has held leadership roles at Rocket, Nika, and Games 24-7. He has degrees from IIT Bombay and IIM Ahmedabad, two of the most premier educational institutes in India. In this episode, we cover a range of topics, including how they build ML products at Credit Karma, use cases of ML in finance, challenges of building ML products in finance, failure modes of ML models, tackling bias, building reliability, maintaining product discipline, and advice for developers who want to incorporate ML into their products. This is an amazing episode, especially given how Vishnu has built big, big systems at scale, handling uh, managing systems for so many users. So, uh, ready for liftoff? And three, and two, and one. Let's go. Vishnu, thank you so much for joining me today. Very nice to be here, Pratik. Thanks for uh, inviting me. You've had a, a, an amazing career and you've built you know, great products. So, I want to start with you know, where you started and how your career took shape over time and now you're you know, you're running uh, ml at credit karma yeah i've been uh, probably in a, been in engineering pretty much from the beginning of my career and a lot of my uh, work experience is actually in early stage startups uh, doing zero to one and over the last uh, nine to ten years is when i've been like involved in data and ml a lot saying that i did spent a bunch of time during my uh, educational time frame where I was doing things in fuzzy logic, I was doing things in AI. So some of that, uh, getting to use all of that over the career at, uh, I've had at Credit Karma has been amazing. Perfect. All right. Um, so let's talk about um, the uses of, of ML and finance. Obviously, you've been at uh, Credit Karma for eight and a half years now. Uh, let's start with, when you look at all the areas within finance like what areas lend themselves well to uh, to using uh, machine learning to to make it better faster cheaper yeah i think uh, even when i joined at credit karma when we were a uh, we were a young company with a lot of things to think through in terms of data and machine learning we were already very clear as a business that we needed to ensure that our members were getting more certainty uh, especially with respect to their dead products than the market was offering them at that point of time. And I remember coming to the U.S. as a student and then going and applying for credit cards uh, willy-nilly just because I got a slice of pizza or a T-shirt and uh, getting a lot of declines in the first six months. And then before <laughs> finally, I'm not sure <laughs> which card I got at that point of time. But uh, and. Think about that from the perspective of someone who is uh, really struggling to make ends meet 
and they get declined when they get declined then it's a big problem for their credit history and then even the products that they were eligible to get they would no longer get it so certainty uh, in terms of what you can get approved for is a big deal for our members and as a result it's a big deal for credit karma i would say that's been something that we've been working very hard on and i think we will keep working on it we want to get to a place where anyone coming to credit karma they can just get a 100% certainty in terms of what products that they're going to get and then everyone will get products uh, the market market wants to give out products the part, our partners want to give out products but they want to make sure that they are giving what they are dealing with it properly so certainty certainty is a big deal the second thing i'll say is like once you have some amount of certainty then you are thinking should i get an auto loan should i get change my uh, renew my auto insurance should i refinance my auto loan should i uh, refinance my mortgage should i get a personal loan to consolidate my existing debt so when you start thinking through all those use cases you you as a end user you're living your life and it's like hard to think through all of these things so uh, at credit karma because we have access to your financial data we think it's our responsibility to personalize our experiences in a way so that you can think it through very clearly top to bottom in each of these areas how to improve your financial health how to get benefits from the fact that you have been financially been financially responsible over the time frame the last few years or whatever time frame that you have been in then i think the third area is uh, actually uh, in the last few years we have launched our checking and savings account we believe that it's something uh, that we want to offer our members so that we can help them with their uh, money movement uh, and when it comes to money movement and once you start dealing with money there are obviously fraud situations that we need to take care of where again machine learning plays a big role to protect our members from fraud to protect our members uh, and our own business from fraud that happens there right that's that's actually really good good to know and especially the the relevance of machine learning to the average person basically you're you're living your life how can ml help you manage some of the work especially on the on the financial side all right so now outside of credit karma just as a as a machine learning and data practitioner what are the top two to three biggest challenges that one would face when you're to build a, a machine learning product in the financial world obviously you have to start out with access to data where do you get the data right i think uh, and uh i would say the second thing there would be just like having a good sense of understanding the business problem and how you can convert that to sub problems and one of which is solved well by machine learning or mo- bunch of which which can be solved well by machine learning having ma- doing that mapping is important because uh, i see one of the challenges uh, early uh, especially in like small medium startups where uh, if they are not completely um, uh, familiar with how machine learning works they might think that i'll just go get a consultancy to build a model using my data and then once i build a model that's it doesn't work like that you need to keep retraining your models all the time you need to keep collecting data all the time so that's pretty expensive to do if you do not understand uh, what you're solving which business problem you're solving for and 
as a result, what data you need to collect to solve that business problem. Right. That, that's actually an important point you mentioned about access to uh, to data. Now, keeping these challenges in mind, how can a machine learning practitioner go from, say, a concept to production? Like, What are some of the best practices that you have developed uh, to make sure that, one, you have the business context in mind, and two, the product actually has to work for the for the average person, and it has to work the reasonable degree of of, of reliability. Meaning, you know, it cannot be like oh, it works like maybe half the time. Like, so how, how do you how do you go from concept to production? I would say the biggest win that we have got at Credit Karma is just uh, ensuring that when engineering teams are building product experiences. It's dead simple for them to instrument and collect clean data. So once you are set it up in a way where clean data is getting collected and it's instrumented and it's easy for product engineers to do that, now uh, then it comes down to like how you use that data. Now, the, pro- the when you're building out product experiences, you are naturally trying to solve specific user problems. So once you build the product experience, once users start using it, then you're going to collect data. Now, then comes the step of how can you optimize the user experience, the existing product experience that you have already built. So uh, you don't build product experiences for not solving user problems. So you already know that you're trying to solve a specific user problem. And then you're collecting data relevant to that problem that you're solving. So then the the next step is to identify like what are the objectives that you want to optimize for? Are you optimizing for revenue or are you optimizing for engagement? Are you optimizing for long-term value or what are the things that you're looking to optimize for? You need to have some minimum level of clarity to start off with uh, just to get started with uh, solving the problem. Then I would say you want to build a simple enough model using the data that you have so that you can try to optimize it a little bit. The first time you deploy simplest model possible with good data, you're going to get a you're going to get a really good win more often than not. You can after that try to iterate and go for more complex models with the data that you have. And you don't need to start off with a very complex model. I'm sure I, there are like a bunch of more things that I can keep adding here, but I'll probably yeah. stop. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I think that that's a wonderful uh, just keeping that as the North Star, uh, I think it's, it serves as a great, great uh, starting point. All right. So, you know, you you built uh, Credit Karma's uh, recommendation systems, the infrastructure, and you, know, you have 110 million members. I'm sure it's growing, growing fast. So that's that's massive scale, right? So obviously, early days it's different, but serving like so many members, it's it's a different a different challenge. So now. You made a good point about instrumentation early on. So, out of these, all these, so these these members are interacting with your services, with your products. So, what usage data or what kind of data are you gathering to make the experience better for your users as you continue to scale this up? Yeah, I think uh, the data that actually makes a big difference for us is actually uh, users' credit report data that we get on their behalf from the bureaus. Uh, On top of it, in terms of just like experience instrumentation, we want to understand what is the user seeing and what are they doing with what they are seeing at that point in time. And then 
we want to also understand what is their current financial status report data at that point of time when we show them something uh because that is how you are trying to understand the user's context really well and then you are trying to optimize for the user you're trying to optimize for the user's context at that point in time uh and the ability to link what the user is doing what you are showing where the user is the user's context is uh that's really key to be able to keep building machine learning products and keep iterating on machine learning products right now if you look at um failure modes so let's say at scale so many members here the systems are active all the time so in what ways can a machine learning model fail in production and how do you keep an eye on this yeah it's a uh, it can fail in so many different ways <laughs> uh, i think in right. fact one of one of my favorite papers that i share with anyone getting in is the machine learning the high interest uh, uh, debt uh, uh, i think I, i'm not able to get the name i'll try to find it later for you but i would say the two big things that i i look at very carefully are that uh, models are actually looking backward you collect a bunch of data training data and then you build the model so they actually are looking backward but when our users and members are coming to the coming to the app they are today they are in the present and then they are in the future so you are trying to use data from the past to predict what's going to happen in the future what's good for the user in the future so by definition when you ship the model it's already stale if you right. if you right. understand that well then you are uh, then you can you're going to do the right thing to make sure that the models are in sync with the world i'll give you an example i think when covid hit us a lot of changes happened in in the financial market industry and like how people were lending how they were how they are changing their lending practices and all of that now if we continue to use our models which are based on data pre covid it's not we are not doing the right thing for our users so we really needed to immediately update our models and uh, and that's a constant practice that we actually follow in credit karma the second thing is like models are actually part of the puzzle they are working in partnership with rules systems data and importantly the humans who are operating all this machinery to deliver the value to our users and business and teams need to keep this into account when they are testing their models to understand what the model is going to do once you put it out in the wild in front of our users if you do not think about the rules systems and data and the users who are operating the system you're actually not doing the right thing for the business or for the users right all right so let's move to um, the topic of of bias right so when you when you look at machine learning systems it's something that they have to deal with constantly and a simple basic example would be let's say a lending institution if they're not careful about the data sets they're using then maybe a certain type of borrower always gets approved or maybe certain another type of borrower always gets rejected and that's mainly a function of just you not looking at the data or the model tends to get biased so what's your recommendation or what's your guidelines for an institution that's using ml to manage uh, a function like lending 
because it's definitely a hard problem i think uh, one of the challenges there is how are you going to do things in a way where you are caring about user privacy uh, because a lot of bias is based on private information about users so when you are trying to manage bias in machine learning models along with uh, user privacy it's actually a hard thing to do the way you build your systems the way you cordon off uh the private data and make sure that it's available for training of models and as well as like uh measuring bias and mitigating bias you need to figure out how to build the zones for the data very carefully in fact at creditkarma we have cordoned off all of our pii data in a way where the only uh person who can access the pii data is actually um is actually the user if the user is not uh, is there is not there we can't access their pii in any way the systems cannot access their pii in any way right Let, let's move to the topic of reliability so when somebody says hey i want to build reliability into my machine learning product what does reliability mean to you on on a subjective level yeah so i think the nature of reliability changes when you go from a 2% team to a 5% team to a 20% team and again in terms of who are the users who are impacted by the systems and models that you're building as a company grows the nature of reliability also changes uh i think the way i look at it is uh, initially when you are a small team you have fewer number of people but the fewer number of people really have everything in their head in terms of how things work how do how does like i talked about rules models data and systems and humans how does all of how do all of these things come together to deliver business value but as you keep growing the number of rules the people who maintain the rules are different from the people who maintain the models are different from the people who build the systems are different from the people who operate the systems then you have to get more rigorous in terms of thinking about reliability so each group needs to think about what are the things that are coming into their workflow and how can they uh, trust but verify the inputs that are coming into their system can they do that in an automated fashion and similarly what are the outputs leaving their workflow can they ensure that they are guaranteeing some contracts for the people who are going to use those outputs in the future and can they monitor and measure that how well they are doing with respect to their outputs so you have to think about like this as a workflow you have to think about guaranteeing inputs guaranteeing outputs uh, trusting but verifying every single input that is coming into your workflow so you need to start doing that and only then you have confidence in the fact that end to end the whole thing is working for our business end to end the whole thing is working for our users and when it breaks you know you know when it breaks and you know where it breaks you're not waiting for months and then after months you're not trying to figure out like uh, again taking a week to figure out like where it broke so you need to know when it broke you need to know where it broke and you need to know who should be the person who's going to fix it quickly right amazing but when you look at the world of finance and where there are opportunities for improvement right so let's say there's a new uh, machine learning builder and they're thinking of okay i want to build something in finance and they're looking for relative white spaces where the opportunity to build something meaningful is good so what are the top 2 to 3 ideas uh, you have that hey i wish that part of the stack or that area 
had more products or better products in finance? I was reading uh, somewhere that there are a lot of uh, lot of failures. I mean, we were just talking about reliability before this, right? Like a lot of failures in machine learning are silent failures. I think being able to make those silent failures not so silent <laughs> and so that you can hear them happening and then you can go and fix them, I, I think is a pretty important thing. The other thing... Uh, uh, that I also want to bring up is that there is a lot of uh, uh, this misconception that uh, you have rules on one side, you have models on another side. And uh, how do you think about rules are like explainable, models are not explainable. You have that misconception. I don't think it works like that. Rules can actually be a big source of bias. So you have to be just as careful with rules as you are with models when it comes to bias. And people probably assume that, hey, just because I have these three, four rules, I'm not I'm not biasing anything. I'm just basing everything on credit score. It doesn't work like that. You have to think about bias in both situations. Right. Right. On the on the let's flip that to uh business uh ideas. So let's say that you know there, there are so many different uh, areas and like fintech businesses being uh, that, that were built in the last decade. That is, you know, people build credit card systems, uh, an expense management, um, you know, business like Credit Karma. So when you look at the next five to ten years, what type of you know, fintech businesses are going to get built? Uh, and what what is the? Or I guess the question is more like, uh, what is the need of today's the average person? Like, what financial needs do they have? And what does the next next top fintech business look like? We have spent all this time uh, building Credit Karma as a business for our 110, 120 million users. I still feel that financial education is a challenge and uh, how people, especially uh, youngsters just coming of age, like I have a couple of daughters, 16 and 13, in a couple of years, my 16-year-old is going to... I mean, she's already spending money on my credit card. So she's going to get access to her own financial instruments. So how can she be thinking about financial responsibility? How can she deal with like all the new things that are coming in terms of investment opportunities? Say, like, I mean, when she starts earning her first paycheck, is she going to go bunch, buy a bunch of Bitcoin? How does she think about being financially responsible? I think financial education is a big space... I think uh, it's still a hard space to deal with and how do you do education well when uh, people just want to not really, most people don't really want to care about this so much. Uh, How do you do education? I think is a big space. And uh, I think uh, I already talked about certainty that at Credit Karma, we care about certainty a lot. The other thing that we also care about is just convenience uh, because a lot of people uh, do not do certain things that can help them a lot because things are inconvenient. So lowering the bar, like for example, refinancing an auto loan is extremely hard to do. So if we are able to educate people about it, if they if we are able to lower the bar in terms of convenience to be able to do that, more people are going to do that. And that way, then it's there, more people are going to be well off, better off from doing those things. So I would say to summarize, it's just like education and uh, uh, making uh, access to financial products more convenient. Actually, both of those ideas resonate a lot. And you you made a great point about uh, financial education. And especially growing up, at least for me, like we didn't care that much about 
being educated on on the financial details. It's just like, hey, if you need something, you buy it and you move on. That's the only interaction with money or financial well-being you had. But obviously, as you grow, it, it is important to understand like what's your relationship with with money and kind of how do you how do you manage it? How do you uh, make sure that you're responsible with it? So I think also Nerd Wallet I think built an interesting business around just kind of trying to get like articles out, trying to educate people. But I, I do think there's a big scope to make sure that financial education is more prevalent and more people more people do it. And and, and you know the second point that you mentioned is is it resonates really strongly. Like refinancing an auto loan it feels like a lot of work and I'm like, oh, no, no, thank you. Because it's just so, it's, it may, it, it feels opaque. It feels like, I don't know what to do, who to call. And you would just not do it because it's just like, it's, it's not easy. It's not as easy as clicking a, a button, getting a couple of codes and you click. And it, 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 so, yeah, I think ease of usage, I think it matters a lot. All right. So, all right, moving on to, let's say you, somebody builds a product and, there is there's a core group of users and and a long tail of users who may have custom requirements, right? So, as you've signed up more users over the years, how have you maintained product discipline? Because I'm sure people are trying to pull it in a hundred different directions, and you want to make sure that there is some some semblance of alignment or direction to okay, here's what the product is going to do, and we're going to maintain that discipline. So how do you, how do you do it? Yeah, I think, uh, in fact, machine learning played a big role in this. Uh, there was a point in time when our uh, dashboard, which is obviously like everyone wants to be on the dashboard, every single uh, vertical or business uh, leader wants to be on the dashboard for every single user. Uh, I think machine learning really helped us in a way where we were able to say, hey, uh, Pratik is actually interested in more an auto today or like this week or this month. So we one of the things that we ended up doing was like we started out with what we internally call as like uh, intent models. So we spent a bunch of uh, time thinking about like intent models. We worked with all of the business owners to build specific intent models, uh, like in terms of like, hey, in the next 15 to 30 days, Pratik is probably interested in buying an auto or uh, Pratik, Pratik is shopping for a home. So uh, in the next 30 days. So we started figuring out how to do these things well in partnership with our domain. So that's an important part, right? Where you have to partner with the business owners very early on to understand like what they are trying to achieve, what are the goals that they want. If you partner with them, then they're going to also understand what machine learning can do for them. Then the next step for us was uh, we were able to use these intent models and more targeting our uh, email campaigns and uh, other things where it's just like more off the app. So it's cheaper to uh, test and iterate and fail off the app rather than on the app because on the app is a big deal. Uh, Then when you come to on the app, then when you know that, hey, these intern models are really delivering the goods for our business owners, specific business owners, then we can start using all the user's data, using all the user context that we have along with the combination of these models that we have built that there's a lot of trust from the business on, then you are able to personalize the the user-facing experience right from day one when they join. And like we we know that they are going to be interested in a home or an auto or a personal loan or a credit card or just like checking where they are with respect to their particular financial health so you are able to then personalize and 
drive the whole uh, user facing experience through machine learning and it's an interest been a very interesting experience where you'll have some business owners who are like want to do a lot right from day one and some business owners who will want to see some uh, smoke before they want to commit to but at the same time we also understand that they are looking uh, at some specific things in their business that they are looking to grow as well they are in different parts of their journey in terms of their growth so to be able to deal with that has been a very interesting experience amazing what are the top 2 to 3 things that a data scientist can do in their day to day work to develop good programming hygiene yeah i think uh, one of the big deal is really working together as a team right i think you uh, working in a silo is probably the biggest challenge working together as a team and communicating and understanding and communicating some of the downstream impact like i mentioned earlier i'll keep repeating it like models don't work on their own models plus rules plus systems plus data plus humans is how the whole thing works how the whole machine works having a good understanding of how the whole machine works and how you can have an extraordinary impact our data scientists have extraordinary impact on our business but the way they have extraordinary impact is by making sure that they are communicating uh, across this group of people who are team group of people and teams who are trying to make the whole machine work and trying to help people understand when a change happens what is the possible impact that they expect for the change to happen then you're not shocking the system so understanding estimating what the shocks are going to be based on the work that you're doing and then also communicating a little bit ahead of time in terms of the shocks that you're going to provide to the system more often than not we have positive shocks but even if there are positive shocks we want to just like give a heads up in terms of what we are doing and what we expect to see like for example if a particular email model is going to suddenly result in 10% increase in the number of users who are going to come to the site if you do not let teams know guess what our site capacity has to scale then our costs are going up then our uh, then possibly even some services might not be able to handle that load you don't want to be in those situations um, but the idea is to make sure that you're estimating the overall impact on the system and you're trying to figure out like who needs to be involved and in understanding like what's going on i think i would say those are the big practices that uh, will help you ha- achieve success on an ongoing basis right all right this is a, a last question before we go to the rapid fire round and uh, this is a more philosophical question right what are the characteristics of a, a great machine learning product according to you the biggest thing i would say is understanding the user's context and trying to do the right thing for the user in the context of what your business has to offer to the user the user is coming to your business to get something from the business so they already uh, have a certain thing that they want to get from the business so understanding the user context and trying to do the best possible thing the uh, trying to put the best possible thing the best business has to offer for the user in front of the user how you do that and can you do that in a uh in a in an efficient sustainable ongoing basis for all of our 120 million members that's the dream awesome with that we are at the rapid fire round i'll ask a series of questions and i would love to hear your answers you ready yep all right question number 1 what's your favorite book 
I uh, I think the cheeky answer to that is the next book that I'm going to read but uh, if you want an answer in terms of what's the recent favorite book that I read I just finished reading Chip War by Chris Miller in January and uh, amazing book I think it gave very succinctly uh, an easy read history of integrated chips starting from transistors to the world's dependence on Taiwan and TSMC today so it, i felt it was uh, very very amazing and it was really interesting to understand the history there what subsector within ai will attract the largest number of practitioners in the next 5 years i think it's going to be observability explainability and uh, maybe the crude way of putting it is ai corner case fixes <laughs> that's awesome that's amazing i think that's a first uh, first time i've heard I, and that's true it, it's actually we do need those a lot of those people <laughs> all right um next question in terms of career building what's a common mistake made by early stage ml practitioners it's really an overwhelming field with a lot of nuances and details and uh, i think the biggest mistake i see is like trying to do it on your own or learn on your own i would probably suggest uh, the best way for you to learn is to maybe join a cohort find a group of people who are trying to get into it and trying to become good at it and then uh, learn together i think i would say the biggest mistake is trying to learn on your own when it comes to ml in finance what misconception in the ecosystem bothers you the most i'll cheat a little bit and maybe use something that i already talked about but i think rules greater than models i think is the biggest misconception and i i feel like rules have their role but they work only to a limited extent and uh, assuming that rules are not a source of bias is probably a big misconception as a machine learning practitioner what have you changed your mind on recently yeah i was i've always been interested in causal and causal inference and uh, i think recently i took some time off and during my time off i read a bunch on causal and the power of causal diagrams in making decisions i i just like it's just mind blowing for me and i'm trying to figure out like how best i can bring that to work so that we can improve things at credit karma but that was just like mind blowing for me right all right next question what's your favorite interview question so this would be what's a project and achievement that you will remember 10 years from now Awesome. That's actually a really good one. It just shows what they think is important and 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 has a huge impact. It's it's actually a fantastic question. All right. All right, this is the final question. What's your number one advice to developers who are just starting out in machine learning? Yeah, it depends. I think uh if they are starting out from a strong math/stats background, i would probably say they should be learning about scalable engineering practices say go read the software engineering at google book you might not work at google uh, but you 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 probably going to learn a lot from that book on the other hand if they are starting from more of a software engineering background i would say they need to strengthen their probability slash stats skills in more of an applied fashion rather than not so much from a theory but at least they need to understand the difference between a normal distribution and a poisson distribution and a gauss and all of those other distributions and those kind of things amazing vishnu this has been such a fantastic conversation uh so many 
good learnings of just kind of having been in the domain and having built systems, having worked with uh, so many people. So thanks again for coming out of the show and sharing your amazing insights. Thank you. Thanks a lot for the invite, Pratik. What a phenomenal discussion on how machine learning works in finance. Thanks to Vishnu for coming on to the show. You can visit infinitemachinelearning.com to subscribe to the podcast. Thanks again for tuning in. I'll see you soon with another amazing episode.